Good morning and welcome to our Sunday Bible class. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Bible class. So we, we do study the Bible. We've been obviously working our way through a book which has Bible passages in it. So uh, anyway, uh, good to be with you here today. We finished up Professor Marquardt's book uh, last week. And this week, I've kind of got a one-off study prepared for you. Uh, but before we get into that, I do want to call forth Mr. Stephen Lewis Votman. It sounds like the, the Lord has arrived and is calling him to his judgment. But, Ouch, uh, what did I do? <laughs> Mr. Held, Head Elder, uh, Steve Votman has asked for a few moments of your time, so I'm going to let him come up here and talk. Thank you, Pastor, and good morning, everyone. Uh, Pastor Grady, if you would please come forward as well. Pastor McKay, you don't have to run too far. You can just stand right there. Um, earlier this year, uh, and the intent of what I'm about to do was in the most optimistic sense to be when we were all uh, filled here in the fellowship hall, everything back to normal in our COVID-19 circumstances, uh, and so this has been a little bit of a long time coming, and there really is no, no good time to do it. So uh, we decided that we would get it done this morning, and what exactly am I doing? Well, I don't know if the pastors were aware. We tried to do this as best as we could, well behind their backs. Uh, and if you all remember, when we rolled out our stages of how we were going to provide you all with a safe place to come and worship, but mostly to be able to come and worship. It was predicated upon numbers that the state allowed in terms of who could gather when. And during that time, these two gentlemen uh, were not preaching just, say, one Sunday a week. They were preaching three. And in addition to that, those things which still remain, namely your ability at any time to sign up to receive or confess your sins personally with the pastors, but come and receive the Holy Sacrament throughout the week remains. And so what we asked the congregation to do was just to take a few brief moments, if you had those times, and write a note of thanksgiving to the pastors. Uh, and the really the brainchild of this came from the Mayer family, as I was contacted by Mark and Aaron. They have a family member who's a Lutheran pastor as well. And so they understand, as the families of our dear pastors understand, and those of us who have been in the church for a long time understand that uh, frontline workers aren't just those who are firefighters and physicians. They're also spiritual frontline workers as well. And so with that, uh, thank you to the congregation who did take the time to do so. This could have been done in the form of uh, children uh, doing their, their own letters with crayons, uh, professionally typed and worded letters from you, the congregation, emails to Juanita in the office, and uh, between Aaron Mayer and Juanita, these have all been compiled now into, and let's make sure that I don't get them mixed up, to Pastor McKay, when you need to in the evening sometimes. Those are thoughts uh, for you, and Pastor Grady here is yours, to our two shepherds on behalf of the sheep of here at Advent. So thank you, you too, and thank you to the families of our pastors as well for all your hard work. It's not very often I'm speechless. Thank you uh, very much uh, for that. I look forward to uh, looking through and, and reading all that. Um, I will probably, and, and I know Pastor Grady would, would echo this uh, with me, that, uh, you know, we, we as pastors never serve alone in any way, shape, or form. Uh, first and foremost, we're uh, both very blessed to have married way out of our station in life um, above that. And so much thanks to our wives, um, and uh, they, they understand uh, the schedules and all that stuff. Uh, but um, secondly, um, we are very blessed here at Advent uh, to have... Um, the leaders, and some of the support staff that you don't see behind the scene. Our, our, our elders here do a bang-up job, as well as our council, and uh, for those of you that are faithful as well in attending and receiving the Lord's Word, um, it all works together. So uh, let's just all together say uh, three little words, thanks, no, that's four, 
Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. He provides for us. So thank you. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate that. Okay. Wow, was not expecting that. That was really out of you hid that really well. Pride myself on knowing what's going on in the office all the time. <laughs> all right, let me gather myself here. Okay. Um so we have finished our study with uh, Professor Marquart, um, and it was a study really of Christian doctrine. Uh, in his way, uh, some of the foundational aspects that he felt was important for a Christian layperson to know and to understand. Uh, the last couple of chapters obviously got a little heady uh, when he dove into a little bit of apologetics, as well as dabbling in some philosophy and some other things. And uh, so if you have any further questions from that study, be sure to email them to me, and I will be sure to address them. There actually are, you notice that book is volume one. There's actually a volume two and a volume three. And this is produced by uh, Luther Academy. Uh, volume two and volume three are selected essays and other writings. So if you desire to do any more study uh, of Professor Marquardt's writings, you would be blessed by that. Uh, he was a great churchman a great teacher, and uh, he now rests from his labors, has been for several years, and uh, uh, made a, a big impact on me as a, as a young seminarian um, in terms of reading him from afar and at a few uh, lectures that I was uh, privileged to be able to sit in on, and still today. Um, so, so that's good. Uh, some of you want to know what we're going to study next. I have asked you for suggestions. And I still have some of those coming in, so if you have an idea and you haven't contacted me yet uh, or Pastor Grady, please do so. Shoot us an email, uh, shoot us a text, or call us. Um, hasn't been decided yet what we're going to study. We've got a, we've got a, a pretty uh, a broad range of topics that have been suggested. And so this next week, Pastor Grady and I are going to sit down and look through that. Um, we are going to start offering September 13th, I believe that's... Uh, Sunday School Rally Day, starting Sunday, September 13th, we will actually have an additional adult Bible class uh, that's being offered. And so one of us pastors will teach that. That'll be a little more of a smaller setting. Uh, probably it's going to be in the library. Um, and so if you're the type of person that enjoys more of a sit around the table, open your Bibles, you know, discuss, as opposed to a little more of the lecture format, there's two of us as pastors, we're going to offer that. And that Bible study is actually in direct correlation to our new Sunday school materials. So that would be a good Bible study for parents if they're looking to kind of follow along with what their kids are learning in Sunday school. Um, and um, our hope is to be able to record, I don't know if we're going to be able to do it right away because we've got a new camera in here and we've got a new camera in the library um, to record those and put those up on the website for those of you that are still at home. Um, so anything else I need to say about that, Pastor Grady? So that'll be kind of uh, uh, more of a, some people have asked for an additional Christian doctrine um, type class, and that's actually what that'll be, okay? And then what we'll do uh, here in the main room, we don't know yet, and then our plan is to kind of rotate between those two classes so you get both of us then uh, teaching and working through that, okay? Do you uh, wish to speak to Wednesday service? Oh, yes. You want, you want to go ahead? No, go ahead. I'm just, I'm you, just the reminder. You sound like, <laughs> anybody ever tell you you have a voice like God? I mean, I, I, I've never really heard God's, because I don't know what his voice sounds like. But Pastor McKay. Yeah. <laughs> you, you've got a little bit of that James Earl Jones thing going, Jones going on. So, um, okay, let's talk about that. So, fall rally, we are going to start Sunday school. As a matter of fact, the Board of Education is meeting today to kind of go over policies, procedures, and plans uh, we have an all-new Sunday School curriculum actually produced by CPH called Enduring Faith. Uh, it's a really good curriculum. Pastors, uh, we have reviewed it. We really like it. It has a catechetical em emphasis um, as well as uh, going through just exactly what you should do, should do in Sunday School, some of the basic stories of the Bible. Um, and uh, we also are using some of this curriculum for our Wednesday night uh, confirmation classes as well. So there's a, a lot of things that kind of dovetail. Uh, we were trying to find something that would bring a little better unity 
uh, to kind of what we're doing, um, and, and I think we've, kind of, we've found it. Um, so Sunday, September 13th, Sunday school classes will start, um, and there will be a letter going out probably later this week with details of what Sunday school is going to look like. Obviously, some people are still sheltering in place, totally understandable. Um, and so I'm not going to steal the Sunday school staff or the Board of Education's thunder. There'll be a letter and stuff that'll be publicized later this week with details on that, okay? Um, but we will be having in-person uh, Sunday school and obviously continue Bible class. Um, we will also be starting a Wednesday night evening service. Last year, we just prayed the catechism. Um, we literally prayed the catechism start to finish. Uh, this year, we actually are going to be offering a prayer office. That's, what's, that's what it's called on Wednesday nights. It'll be at 6.30, and that will start Wednesday, September 9th, 6.30 p.m. Uh, we'll begin in the fall with uh, the uh, office uh, of Vespers, and we'll have one or two hymns, and that'll be about a 20, 25-minute service. Uh, sing a hymn or two, uh, pray Vespers, and then we will have confirmation classes from 7 o'clock till 8.30, and also during that time, there will be another adult Bible class. Um, as of right now, that'll be the same Bible class that we're going to do on Sunday morning, the second additional one. So if you, if you want to catch that one, then it'll be on, on Wednesday night as well, okay? So we'll kind of see how that works. We're just trying to offer, people have asked for a few more Bible study opportunities and worship. Uh, obviously, that'll also be um, a smaller, you know, what's, uh, There'll be fewer people at the service. Sorry, I'm tongue-tied today. There'll be fewer people there. So for those that need a service during the week, uh, Sunday morning is, is still difficult. And then our plan is maybe once a month to do a divine service that Wednesday night as well. Uh, and so we'll, we'll, we're getting a plan together. All that stuff's going to come out this week. Did I cover all the basics? Oh, two questions. Uh, in the back first, Ms. Uh, Longworth. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you. Yes, Wednesday morning Bible class will also start that same week. So we will resume uh, Wednesday morning Bible class on Wednesday, September the 9th. So that'll be 9.30. What's that? Oh, you teachers, you teachers, you want the syllabus early. How long will the papers be? They have to write. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> but no, Wednesday Bible class will start uh, start then back up uh, that plan as well, okay? Um, and if there's, you know, we, we've got a, a ladies' night that's going to get started. Men's steak night is hoping to uh, get back going again. So we've got a, a few extra opportunities. If, if there's something else you're interested in or something that doesn't fit your schedule, I always tell people, if you have an idea, find two or three other people that like your idea or want to support you and come talk to us in leadership and we'll make it happen, okay? So um, we're not opposed to having, you know, other studies during the week uh, or that sort of opportunity, opportunities, okay? Good, good? All right, all right, okay. All right, let's open with prayer and then I'll tell you what we're doing today. The Lord be with you. Oh God, you declare your almighty power above all in showing mercy and pity. Mercifully grant us such a measure of your grace that we may obtain your gracious promises and be made partakers of your heavenly treasures. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. So today, what we're going to go through, we got 35 minutes, it's going to be tight. Um, we are going to read through a pamphlet that Martin Luther wrote uh, this is back in 1527, and just to give you a little bit of history uh, on this, in 1350, right around there, the bubonic plague swept through Europe, okay? It was referred to as the Black Death, and because, um, you know, they, they didn't have the, the type of, of, of census, what's the pearl of census? Sensei? Sounds Japanese. Uh, <laughs> censuses? Um, you know, they, 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 they weren't sure how many people actually died from the bubonic plague uh, back in 1350 and in the subsequent years. Um, they, most experts will say it was at least one-third of the population of Europe. Just imagine that, okay? One-third, some experts put it as high as 60%, okay? Uh, 60%. 
And um, the bubonic plague was a product actually of the bacteria. And I don't know if I'm saying this right. I'm not a medical scientist. Yersinia pestis was the bacteria that caused it. And the bubonic plague was spread by infected fleas and could also be transmitted through the air. Okay. Now, the thing that was interesting as we kind of study some of the history of this, and I just did a, a cursory gloss of the history behind it. So uh, if somebody else has any more information, raise your hand and we'll let you share with us. Uh, but they had reoccurrences of the bubonic plague that would pop up from time to time. So 1350 was when it hit. You ready for this? 1527. How many years later is that? 177 if I'm doing my math right. 177 years later, the same plague popped back up in Wittenberg. And this was a really big deal. And so the first thing that people started to do was, I refer to it as the, the Monty Python, uh, run away, run away. They literally just, just started leaving in droves. Okay? And I keep in mind at the time, um, you know, the, the whole process of, of microbiology as we understand it really didn't develop until around World War I and after. Okay? So, so one uh, medieval doctor uh, theorized this about the bubonic plague, quote, instantaneous death occurs when the aerial, aerial spirit escaping from the eyes of the sick man strikes the healthy person standing near and looking at the sick. Did you catch that? Instantaneous death occurs when the aerial spirit escaping from the Eyes of the sick man. <laughs> okay? So, this sounds kind of, woo, you know, to us. But keep in mind, they didn't understand microbiology like we do today and the study of cell structures and transmission, all that stuff. So, coming from the eyes, this medieval spirit would then infect and would look at other people. In short, how did they deal with the plague back then? Stay away from people that are sick period. Okay? And so the first thing they did was literally just to, to flee. People would leave their homes. People would leave their jobs. And so a fellow pastor wrote to Martin Luther and said, is it okay for us to leave? Or should we, have, do, should we stay? That's a, that's a great question. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is I think there's some really good connections to what we've been dealing with the past four, five months. At what point is it good and God-pleasing Christian to run away? And at what point do you stay Okay, when you have duties? And Luther gets exactly into that. Okay, Now, a couple of things before I get into his article. Um, so in August 1527, Elector uh, John Frederick, who is basically Luther's, you know, uh, <laughs> he's his, his civil righteousness, if you will, right? He's in charge. He orders Luther to leave the city. He says, Luther, I order you to leave Wittenberg. You know what Luther does? Nope, I'm not leaving. And not only does Luther not leave when the plague hits, he opens up his home to people who are sick or people who need a place to stay. At the time in August of 1527, uh, his wife Katie is pregnant. Okay? She, she, she had to be just an amazing lady to put up with Luther. Okay? Luther is the guy that gave away, you heard this story, gave away all their wedding gifts. And there was one, I think it was a, a platter, if I'm not mistaken. There was one platter that she had hid somewhere in the house. Because what he would do is he would give it away to people who was in need or he would go sell it and give the money to that. And so Luther comes in one day. Have you heard this story? It's a great story. And Katie, you know, where's that whatever it was, silver platter, whatever? I know we have one thing left, you know, that somebody gave us a very valuable wedding gift. She goes, oh, no, 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 you're not touching that. You need to let me keep at least one thing from our wedding, <laughs> right? And, of course, they argue back and forth about it. And I think ultimately she ends up relenting. Um, and, uh, but, but he was just so, so generous. And, uh, and even in the face of the plague, um, stood up and, and, and did what, what needed to be done. Okay? 
All right, anybody else have any other history on that that I've missed or that haven't picked up? I don't want to spend too much time on that. Uh, if you're ever looking for some interesting history, uh, you know, Christians, the church has dealt with pandemic before, okay? Uh, while what we have now in terms of, uh, you know, the coronavirus, the novel, I'm, I'm not going to say the word because it's, you got to pronounce it or whatever. While that might be new in terms of a strand, the church has dealt with these things before. And so I think this is very helpful to look at what Luther is going to teach us today. Okay, any questions before I jump into Luther? You've got a sheet in front of you. If you don't have one, raise your hand, and we'll have our usher, Bible class usher, bring you a sheet. And uh, if you're listening to us online, uh, we've got the link for this article shared. It's up on the screen. Excellent. Okay. So you can click on the link and download it or read along with us. Here we go. Whether one may flee from a deadly plague. Grace and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Your letter sent to me at Wittenberg was received some time ago. You wish to know whether it is proper for a Christian to run away from a deadly plague. I should have answered long ago, but God has for some time disciplined and scourged me so severely that I have been able to do much reading or writing. Luther also suffered from, from great... Uh, not only physical um, ailments uh, throughout his life, but also bouts of depression. Okay? And so I always, I always tell people that uh, you know, uh, depression, mental illness is very real. Never be afraid to talk to somebody about that, okay? whether your pastors or your doctors or your spouse. Um, and some of our most learned and wise men dealt with the challenges of mental illness in various ways, and Luther was one. C.F.W. Walther, founding uh, father of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, had three complete mental breakdowns, okay? Um, so never be afraid to talk to somebody if you're struggling with any of those things, okay? Furthermore, Luther writes, it occurred to me that God, the merciful Father, has endowed you so richly with wisdom and truth in Christ that you yourself should be well qualified to decide this matter or even weightier problems in his spirit and grace without our assistance, but now that you keep on writing to me and have, so to speak, humbled yourselves in requesting our view on this matter, so that as St. Paul repeatedly teaches, we may always agree with one another and be of one mind, therefore we here give you our opinion as far as God grants us to understand and perceive. This we would humbly submit to your judgment and to that of all devout Christians for them, as is proper, to come to their own decision and conclusion. So underline that, okay? As for me and my house, come to your own decision and conclusion, okay? But Luther now is going to give some guidelines to help you <laughs> arrive at uh, good and God-pleasing decision and conclusions. Since the rumor of death is to be heard in these and many other parts also, we have permitted these instructions of ours to be printed because others might also want to make use of them, such of us, such as us 500 years later. To begin with, some people are of the firm opinion that one need not and should not run away from a deadly plague. Rather, since death is God's punishment, which he sends upon us for our sins, reference the excellent sermon this morning from Pastor Grady, or wait for it this, after, uh, this afternoon. Well, I guess you could watch it this afternoon at late service is what I meant to say. We must submit to God and with a true and firm faith patiently await our punishment. They look upon running away as an outright, outright wrong and as lack of belief in God. Others take the position that one may properly flee, particularly if one holds no public office. I cannot censure the former for their excellent decision. They uphold a good cause, namely a strong faith in God, and deserve commendation, not condemnation, commendation because they desire every Christian to hold to a strong, firm faith. It takes more than a milk faith to await a death before which most of the saints themselves have been and still are in dread, who would not acclaim these earnest people to whom death is a little thing. They willingly accept God's chastisement, doing so without tempting God, as we shall hear later on. Since it is generally true of Christians that few are strong and many are weak, one simply cannot place the same burden upon everyone. A person who has a strong faith can drink poison and suffer no harm, Mark 16, 18, while one who has a weak faith would thereby drink to his death. Peter could walk upon the water because he was strong in faith, but when he began to doubt and his faith weakened, he sank and almost drowned. When a strong man travels with a weak man, he must restrain himself so as not to walk at a speed proportionate to his strength, lest he set a killing pace for his weak companion. Since I was first married, my wife and I have enjoyed going for evening walks. And what did I used to hear? Slow down. Your legs are twice as long as mine, right? 
And so now the funny thing is, I mean, I've gotten older. Now I walk slower. Now she's dragging me forward, you know, because she wants to get her, you know, heart rate up or whatever. I'm like, we're going for a walk. <laughs> it's not supposed to be exercise. <laughs> anyway, all right, you know, you know where he's going with this. <laughs> Christ does not want his weak ones to be abandoned, as St. Paul teaches in Romans 15 and 1 Corinthians 12. To put it briefly and concisely, running away from death may happen in one of two ways. Okay, now let me just stop here real quick. So we, we you know, uh, every church, every parish, and I've talked to a lot of pastors, on the one hand, in the midst of the current pandemic, we, you know, we, we've got, you know, people who are like, hey, none of this matters, we're, we're all going to die at some point, just, just don't worry about anything. Okay, if death comes, death comes. And then you've got others who are what, Luther says, who, who might be, okay? Certainly those who have a different opinion on things and brotherly love need to be respected. But then there might also be other people of weaker faith. So Luther's saying, be mindful of that. So sometimes the path forward is not always that way or that way. It's trying to find the path forward. And that's what we've tried to do here with everything we've done. Okay, I know we haven't pleased everybody with what we've either asked you to do or what we've done. You never will, okay? But weak and strong, tall and short should walk together, okay? Just I want you to just think about it that way, okay, for the sake of Christian love and charity. So to put it briefly and concisely, running away from death may happen one of two ways. First, it may happen in disobedience to God's word and command. For instance, in the case of a man who is imprisoned for the sake of God's word and who to escape death denies and repudiates God's word. In such a situation, everyone has Christ's plain mandate and command not to flee, but rather to suffer death. As he says, and let's read it together, Matthew 10, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Now, those who are engaged in a spiritual ministry, such as preachers and pastors, must likewise remain steadfast before the peril of death. Okay? (laughs) We have a plain command from Christ. Read it with me. A good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, but the hireling sees the wolf coming and flees. For when people are dying, they most need a spiritual ministry, which strengthens and comforts their consciences by word and sacrament, and in faith overcomes death. (sighs) Without naming names or places or anything like that, someone reached out to us and told us that there was someone who was dying and they desired to see a pastor and even take communion. And so what did we do, Pastor Grady? Tried to go called, talked to the director of a certain facility, that's what this person has requested, were we allowed to go in and do that? Okay. Um, All right. You're picking up what I'm laying down? So write write your letters to the right people, make the right phone calls, let us pastors do our job, okay? And if people desire the Lord's gifts, they should be able to receive those on their deathbed, Okay. Um, and that, to me, is, 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 I believe, also a constitutional right. But I'm not going to go there right now. Oh, boy, I just said that on YouTube. Okay. I meant it, though. It's true. For when people are dying, they most need a spiritual ministry, which strengthens and comforts their consciences by word and sacrament, and in faith overcomes death. However... Where enough preachers are available in one locality and they agree to encourage the other clergy to leave in order not to expose themselves needlessly to danger, I do not consider such conduct sinful because spiritual services are provided for and because they would have been ready and willing to stay if it had been necessary. We read that St. Athanasius fled from his church that his life might be spared because many others were there to administer his office. Similarly, the brethren in Damascus lowered Paul in a basket over the wall to make it possible for him to escape, Acts 9, And also in Acts 19, Paul allowed himself to be kept from risking danger in the marketplace because it was not essential for him to do so. Accordingly, all those in public offices, such as mayors, judges, and the like, are under obligation to remain. So Luther here is talking about the three offices. We've talked about this before. 
So for him, the spiritual office, uh, that would be that of pastor, of under-shepherd, is vitally important. He talks about that first. Now in this next paragraph, he's going to talk about uh, the civil office or the civil father, that of government. So those that have authority that are supposed to provide for others, their job is in the face of death to do what? Do their job, okay? Um, unless there's the ability for that job to be taken care of either by others, okay, um, you know, or perhaps by younger ones. I'm looking at you. It's okay, okay? That's perfectly good. Accordingly, all those in public office, mayors, judges, and the like are under obligation to remain. This, too, is God's word, which institutes secular authority and commands that town and country be ruled, protected, and preserved, as St. Paul teaches in Romans 13. Read it with me. The governing authorities are God's ministers for your own good. Okay? Now, for some of you, that's a difficult thing to accept. Okay? But God has put servants in place. And there are certain laws that have been passed, okay? Not saying that all of us agree with those or like those, but God does say, as long as it does not contradict his word, to, he's put them there, okay? To abandon an entire community, which one has been called to govern and leave it without official or government, exposed to all kinds of danger, such as fires, murders, riots. Do I need to read between the lines here? And every imaginable disaster is a great sin. To let those things go without addressing them is a sin. You picking up my emphasis on syllables? It is the kind of disaster the devil would like to instigate wherever there is no law and order. St. Paul says, read it with me. Anyone who does not provide for his own family denies the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now understand how Luther is interpreting family. If you've got three fathers, you've got civil family in a sense, which would be your citizenship here in, in this life. You've also got your family in terms of your household, which is authority then uh, under the, the, the father, the husband, who is the, is the head Okay, and of course, Christ is over all that. And then you've got your spiritual household, of which your pastors or under-shepherds there are the head as well. Okay? So this is how Luther, when he writes, if you've read much of Luther, he always talks about kind of these three offices, these three estates, or I think in a very simple way for you to understand it, you could say three families. So you're kind of a member of three families. You're an American citizen. Okay? You're also a citizen of Indiana, if you truly understand how our uh, United States of America is structured, okay? Uh, you're also a member of a church, okay? Uh, and you have spiritual oversight, part of a family here uh, with uh, two pastors there to care for you. Uh, and you should be part of a household in some way, shape, or form, okay? All right, any questions on that? On the other hand, if in great weakness they flee but provide capable substitutes to make sure that the community is well-governed and protected, as we previously indicated, and if they continually and carefully supervise them, all that would be proper. So Luther's main thing is make sure the work is still getting done in some way, shape, or form. What applies to these two offices, and see now where he gets specific, and the the word here in German is Amt, das Amt, church and state, should also apply to persons who stand in a relationship of service or duty toward one another. A servant should not leave his master, nor a maid her mistress, except with the knowledge and permission of master or mistress. Again, a master should not desert his servant or a lady her maid, unless suitable provision for their care has been made somewhere. In all these matters, it is a divine command that servants and maids should render obedience, and by the same token, masters and ladies should take care of their servants. Likewise, fathers and mothers are bound by God's law to serve and help their children, and children their fathers and mothers. Likewise, paid public servants, such as city physicians, city clerks, and constables, or whatever their title, should not flee unless they furnish capable substitutes who are acceptable to their employer. In the case of children who are orphaned, guardians or close friends are under obligation either to stay with them or to arrange diligently for other nursing care for their sick friends. Yes, no one should dare leave his neighbor unless there are others who will take care of the sick in their stead and nurse them. In such cases, we must must respect the word of Christ. Say it with me. I was sick, 
and you did not visit me. Now, according to this passage, we are bound to each other in such a way that no one may forsake the other in his distress, but is obliged to assist and help him as he himself would like to be helped. Now, where no such emergency exists and where enough people are available for nursing and taking care of the sick, and where voluntarily or by orders, those who are weak in faith make provisions so that there is no need for additional helpers, or where the sick do not want them and have refused their services, I judge that they have an equal choice either to flee or to remain. You might want to underline or highlight that. Uh, If someone is sufficiently bold and strong in his faith, let him stay in God's name. That is certainly no sin. If someone is weak and fearful, let him flee in God's name. As long as he does not neglect his duty toward his neighbor, but has made adequate provision for others to provide nursing care. To flee from death and to save one's life is a natural tendency implanted by God and not forbidden unless it be against God and neighbor. As St. Paul says in Ephesians 4, read it with me, no man ever hates his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it. It is even commanded that every man should as much as possible preserve body and life and not neglect them, as St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, that God has so ordered the member of the body that each one cares and works for the other. So God has created you for good use to who or to whom? To your neighbor, first and foremost. Okay? God does not need your good works. And this is where a lot of Christians get this twisted. Who needs your good works? Your neighbor. Now, it is not forbidden, but rather commanded by the sweat of our brow, we should seek our daily food, clothing, and all we need, and avoid destruction and disaster whenever we can, as long as we do so without detracting from our love and duty toward our neighbor. Okay? Um, If a man does not work, the Bible says, he does not eat. Okay? Um, So God has created us uh, for service and for work. So we have to be very careful of, you know, this concept of I deserve this or I've earned this. You need to understand that through the three estates and offices, okay? Obviously, spiritual is drummed into you. You cannot earn your salvation. Christ has, has, uh, has borne all the wrath of God for you. He became wrath and bore it all. I won't go any further with that because that's your sermon for today. Um, and now in the home, what does that mean? Okay, in the civil realm, the civic realm, what does that look like? So think through this, because they're all interconnected, okay? How much more appropriate it is, therefore, to seek to preserve life and avoid death if this can be done without harm to our neighbor inasmuch as life is more than food and clothing. As Christ himself says in Matthew 5, If someone is so strong in faith, however, that he can willingly suffer nakedness, hunger, and want without tempting God and not trying to escape, although he could do so, let him continue that way. But let him not condemn those who will not or cannot do the same. Nod your heads. Everybody understand that? That's what we've been trying to go for here uh, in all of our various ways because we understand there's... There's differences. Mask, no mask, I mean, you name it. The whole thing's a government conspiracy, you know, to actual scientists we have that are good and upstanding members here, or doctors who have seen it themselves or even had it, right? Okay. Do I need to say any more on that? Did I cover that okay, Mr. Voteman? All right. So, let him not condemn those who will not or cannot do the same. Examples in Holy Scripture abundantly prove that to flee from death is not wrong in itself. Abraham was a great saint, but he feared death and escaped it by pretending that his wife Sarah was his sister. Remember that one? Because he did so without neglecting or adversely affecting his neighbor, it was not counted as a sin against him. His son Isaac did likewise. Jacob also fled from his brother Esau to avoid death at his hands. Likewise, David fled from Saul and from Absalom. Okay? I mean, the whole story of David and Saul is amazing, right? Do you remember where David ends up hiding, by the way? Huh? That's so pivotal to the passion account? Anybody know? Where did David hide? How many of you have traveled to Jerusalem? Okay. 
Where did they take all the, the trash and the rubble? And yeah, you haven't been there yet. You weren't supposed to say anything. Pastor's kid, Kidron Valley. Read, what is it, John 17 or 18, where it says Jesus crosses over the brook Kidron? And you're like, why in the world does it tell us that? That's where David hid out from Saul. Why is that so important? Well, one, that's where all of the, the, the blood from the sacrifices would flow through the conduits out of Jerusalem. Jesus crosses over that. Secondly, all that whole area, and, and, and don't forget further down, uh, is, is, is Gehenna, Lake of Fire, meaning trash heap. You ever driven by any of our uh, <laughs> uh, places? The mounds are getting bigger over the years, right? So wherever I've lived, when I've traveled back, I've always tried to look at what the trash dump looks like. And normally it's a little taller. And the kids say, is that a mountain, Daddy? No, that's trash. Okay. And what do they have in the, in the landfills? They have big pipes. Why do they have pipes coming out of them? Because there's stuff that's degrading. And, of course, a lot of stuff that's not. Perhaps even burning or smoldering in some ways. So David hides out here amongst the trash to be redeemed and rescued by God. All this is, uh, is pointing forward to Christ who literally becomes, bears not only the wrath of God, he who knew no sin became sin for you that you might become the righteousness of God. Okay, Uh, Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain. I mean, you should just be, all this stuff should kind of, you know, be flowing together. Okay, Um, And yet David fled from death. He didn't just walk up to Saul and say, right here, buddy. Go ahead, run me through. He didn't, did he? I say, God will preserve me, okay? Um, So he fled from death. God preserved him in the midst of that. So it's not wrong to flee uh, in that respect as long as your job is being taken care of. Now, yes, you may reply. (laughs) I love how Luther answers himself. But these examples do not refer to dying by pestilence, but to death under persecution. Answer, death is death, no matter how it occurs. According to Holy Scripture, God sent his four scourges, Pestilence, famine, sword, and wildebeest. Wild beast. If it is permissible to flee from one or the other in clear conscience, why not from all four? Our examples demonstrate how the Holy Fathers escaped from the sword. Quite evident, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob fled from the other scourge, namely hunger and death, when they went to Egypt to escape famine, as we are told in Genesis 40-47. to Likewise, why should one not run away from wild beasts? I hear people say, if war or the Turks come, one should not flee from his village or town, but stay and await God's punishment by the sword. That is quite true. Let him who has a strong faith wait for his death, but he should not condemn those who take flight. By such reasoning, when a house is on fire, no one should run outside or rush to help because such a fire is also a punishment from God. Anyone who falls into deep water dare not save himself by swimming, but must surrender to the water as to a divine punishment. So Luther's saying, hey, you need to apply this across the board. Your house catches fire, you know, pull a Monty Python, run away, run away. Don't call, don't call 911. Don't try and put it out. Just run away, okay? You know, or if you're, you know, you're... <laughs> We were obviously at the beach several weeks ago, and uh, you know there, there's a little bit of an undertow out there around Hilton Head. You know that they kind of warned us about it from getting out too far, right? Um, and uh, oh, you know, just give up, let it take you. Okay, don't fight it, don't swim sideways like you're supposed to, or any of that other stuff. Just just let it go. Okay, uh, very well, Luther says, do so if you can, but do not tempt God, and allow and allow others. See, this is how you have to think about your neighbor which is difficult, because keep in mind, we are, I keep telling you this, we are such a true postmodern culture. Everything is so individualized for us, right? It's my thoughts, it's my feeling, it's my opinion. And, and, and as a Christian, we need to be confronted with God's law, which says, no, 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 you're supposed to care for who first? Your neighbor. What's a husband supposed to do for his wife? Husbands, what's your command from God's word to do for your wife? Die. Read the Bible. Your job is to die for your wife as Christ died for the church. Okay? So, I mean, we we forget those things. Okay? Because we become so self-centered, so focused on, you know, our wants, our desires. Okay? Uh, just all the way through Scripture, okay? 
um, very well. Do so if you can, but do not tempt God. Allow others to do as much as they are capable of doing. Likewise, if someone breaks a leg, is wounded or bitten, he should not seek medical aid, but say, oh, it's God's punishment. I shall bear it until it heals by itself. Freezing weather in winter, also God's punishment, and can cause death. Why not? Why run to get inside or near a fire? Be strong and stay outside until it becomes warm again. <laughs> you see where Luther is going with this? We should then need no apothecaries, no pharmac- pharmacies or drugs or physicians, because all illnesses are punishment from God. Hunger and thirst are also great punishments and torture. Why do you eat and drink instead of letting yourself be punished until hunger and thirst stop of themselves? Ultimately, such talk will lead to the point where we abbreviate the Lord's Prayer and we no longer pray, deliver us from evil, amen, (laughs) since we would have to stop praying to be saved from hell and stop seeking to escape it. It too is God's punishment, as is every kind of evil. Where would all this end? From what has been said, we derive this guidance. Okay, And I'm probably going to close here and pick up the rest of it next week. We must pray against every form of evil and guard against it to the best of our ability in order not to act contrary to God as was previously explained. If it be God's will that evil come upon us and destroy us, none of our precautions will help us. Everybody must take this to heart. First of all, if he feels bound to remain where death rages in order to serve his neighbor, let him commend himself to God and say, Lord, I'm in your hands. You've kept me here, thy will be done, I'm your lowly creature. Thou, you can kill me, or you can preserve me in this pestilence in the same way as if I were in fire, water, drought, or any other danger. If a man is free, however, and can escape, let him commend himself and say, Lord God, I'm weak and fearful. Therefore, I'm running away from evil and doing what I can to protect myself against it. I'm nevertheless in your hands in this danger as in any other which might overtake me, thy will be done. My flight alone will not succeed of itself because calamity and harm are everywhere. Moreover, the devil never sleeps. He is a murderer from the beginning and tries everywhere to instigate murder and misfortune. So in the same way, we must and we owe it to our neighbor to accord him the same treatment in other troubles and perils also. So don't just think of yourself or where you're at with your faith. Think of where your neighbor is as well. If his house is on fire, love compels me to run to help him extinguish the flames. If there are enough other people around to help put the fire out, I may either go home or remain to help. If he falls into the water or into a pit, I dare not turn away, but must hurry to help him as best I can. If there are others to do it, I am released. If I see that he is hungry or thirsty, I cannot ignore him, but must offer food and drink, not considering whether I would risk impoverishing myself by doing so. A man who were not a man who will not help or support others unless he can do so without affecting his safety or his property will never help his neighbor. He will always reckon with the possibility that doing so will bring some disadvantage and damage, danger, and loss. No neighbor can live alongside another without risk to his safety, property, wife, or child. He must run the risk that fire or some other accident will start in the neighbor's house and destroy him bodily or deprive him of his goods, wife, children, and all he has. Anyone who does not do that for his neighbor but forsakes him and leaves him to his misfortune becomes a murderer in the sight of God. As St. John states in his epistles, read it with me, whoever does not love his brother is a murderer. And again, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brothers in need yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love abide in him? Now, that is also one of the sins which God attributed to the city of Sodom when he speaks through the prophet Ezekiel. Read it with me. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, surfeit of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. Christ, therefore, will condemn them as murders on the last day when he will say, I was sick and you did not visit me. Now, if that shall be the judgment upon those who have failed to visit the sick and needy or to offer them relief, what will become of those who abandon them and let them lie there like dogs and pigs? Yes, how will they fare who rob the poor of the little they have and plague them in all kinds of ways? That is what the tyrants do to the poor who accept the gospel. But let that be, they have their condemnation. A little, little poke there at Rome. It would be well where there is such an efficient government in cities and states to maintain municipal homes and hospitals staffed with people 
to take care of the sick so that patients from private homes can be sent there. As was the intent and purpose of our forefathers with so many pious bequests, hospitals, hospital, uh, hospices, hospitals, and infirmaries, so it should not be necessary for every citizen to maintain a hospital in his own home. Uh, go back and read uh, Leviticus, uh, and I mean Exodus and Leviticus. You know, uh, God commanded when people would sick that sick that they should be segregated, they should be separated. Okay, there was social distancing in the Bible. Guess what? And God commanded it for the sake and health of your neighbor. It's in the Bible, folks. Okay, um, so don't don't ignore some of what God put in place to protect others, both strong and weak in various ways. I want to get through the next. This paragraph and the next one, then we'll be done, okay? That would indeed be a fine, commendable, and Christian arrangement to which everyone should offer generous help and contributions, particularly the government, where there are no such institutions and they exist in only a few places, we must give hospital care and be nurses for one another in any extremity or risk the loss of salvation and the grace of God. Thus it is written in God's word and command, read it with me, love your neighbor as yourself. And in Matthew 7, so whatever you wish that men would do to you, do so to them. Now, and pay attention, we're going to close with this. If a deadly epidemic strikes, we should stay where we are, make our preparations, and take courage in the fact that we are mutually bound together, as previously indicated, so that we cannot desert one another or flee from one another. So what's Luther concerned about? that the fellowship be maintained, contact, communication, and care for one another. Okay. Um, first, we can be sure that God's punishment has come upon us, not only to chastise us for our sins, but also to test our faith and love. Our faith in that we may see and experience how we should act toward God, our love in that we may recognize how we should act toward our neighbor. I am of the opinion that all the epidemics, like any plague, are spread among the people by evil spirits who poison the air or exhale a pestilential breath which puts a deadly poison into the flesh. Nevertheless, this is God's decree and punishment to which we must patiently submit and serve our neighbor, risking our lives in this manner as St. John teaches. Read it with me. If Christ laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And we're going to stop there and we're going to pick up on that first full paragraph. Right side column, page four next week. Okay? I'll take one or two short questions if there are any for today. Okay? If you're wondering whether Luther will agree or support any opinion you may have, um, make sure you finish the rest of this if you read through it on your own. Or just be patient and wait for next week. Luther does a great job, in my opinion, of covering both sides of this issue, and that's why I chose to share this with you. Any other comments? Hey, smile. The Lord loves you, and uh, he has good use for you to serve your neighbor yet in this life and uh, to live by faith and not by sight. Okay? Let's stand and close with the Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Peace be with you. Amen.